it's pretty apparent that some in our fellowship here take in their own precautionary measures. I think there's plenty of wisdom in that. I want you to know up front that we have spent a lot of time talking and and uh, considering what's going on in our in our world, in our nation, and actually in our community. To my knowledge at this point in time right now, I don't know that there's any confirmed cases in the Tri-County area, although I will say that there's been quite a few tested. Um, there's more every day, every hour. We find out more and more that it's kind of getting closer. And um, I want you to know up front that I don't believe that we're operating out of fear, that I don't believe that if people abstain from coming to things that somehow that's fear-driven. Really, really, if we're honest, only the Lord knows that piece of the heart and motivation. Um, I think there's obviously some wisdom, especially people in the high-risk category. And so I'll say up front, I called my mom last night and I said, Mom, I think you should abstain. Uh, she has struggles. She has some health issues, heart, somewhat respiratory type issues that put her in that category. Am I fearful for my mom? No, I'm not fearful for my mom. She's ready to go meet the Lord whenever. Uh, although I would say knowing her as we do, <laughs> uh, she'll kind of fight it out to the last possible moment, uh, which is good. Um, I think there's some wisdom there. Um, I'll say up front, one of the passages that I read that, that deals with a lot of the panic and, and, and stuff that's out there is Romans chapter 13. It'd be good if we all reviewed that. It won't be part of my message today, but I think that just put a footnote in your Bible or your bulletin that Romans 13 tells me in a nutshell that our government actually is instituted by God for our good. And so I think that there's some wisdom in, in what we're going through with this COVID-19 that, that can come that way. We as your leadership, we love you guys. Like, I can't overemphasize that enough. I'd put my life on the line for any one of the folks that come to church here. I'd go out in front of the train and pull you off the tracks if you were tied down and the train was bearing for you. That's how, that's how I feel, and I know that's how all of the leadership feels here, that, that we would sacrifice. We've actually, in our meetings, talked a lot about sacrifice when it comes to leadership, and that that is our main call as, as leaders, is to serve and sacrifice on behalf of the body. And so, these issues are no small thing for us. Uh, and, and I don't believe we're operating out of fear regardless, um, you know, of, of how things kind of shake down. We need to be cautious and wise, yet we need to be a light in our community. We need to be a safe spot. We need to be, you know, encouraging those around us that are operating out of fear, that are, are panicking, that, you know, don't get your information from the Facebook memes. Laugh at them because they might be funny, but you know, that shouldn't be your source. And it's, I'll tell you, as a church leader, it's hard to find quality, um, non-agenda-driven, so to speak, or non-panic-driven 
you know, because the headlines are going to be sensational, let's be honest. The headlines will always be sensational because that's what drives that industry. And so to find high quality information that's accurate uh, for us is, is important. If you're a person that's, that's in some of those areas of no, uh, we would definitely appreciate your, your wisdom and input. And um, by no small measure of the decisions that we've made uh, come to be. It is a hard labor of love. We love fellowship. We love ministry. And so it's, it's, it's been really a grind. Um, I'll, I'll end with this. I talked with a, several pastors, some local, some on the west side. A friend of mine, Scott, that's a pastor in Longview. Uh, they're going to the online live feed, and they're abstaining from their service today. And other churches in our area are doing the same thing. Les and Maurice Formas Church down in uh, North Spokane is doing the same thing. For Scott and their church, it was a natural type of, uh, uh, it was kind of a natural decision in the sense that they just took on a small church. They're a church of maybe 400 or 500. They just took on another church as a church plant in, in the little community of Tootle, a church that was about ready to close their doors, and they came to uh, Scott and the folks, the leadership there at Exodus, uh, Exodus Christian Fellowship in Longview, and asked them if, if they would kind of take over and see it as a church plant. And so they did that, and they've been live streaming from one church to the other for quite a while. For, so for them, it was natural um, in, as far as the mechanics of it. But he said, this is, these have been some of the hardest decisions we've ever had to make, is how to address these things and address the unknown and not operate out of fear, uh, but be wise. And so I just want to tell you that that's our MO, too. Uh, we don't want to operate out of fear. I don't believe we are operating out of fear. Um, but we do want to be wise, and we want to uh, shine, the, uh, shine the light of Jesus in a dark hour, which leads us to, act, to Acts chapter 23. And I'll, uh, I'll crank up from the seriousness of what I've been talking about to this, is that do you guys know what the, most, the second most recognized verse in the Bible is? Like, what's the, first rec- what's the most recognized verse in the Bible? Anybody know? John 3.16. John 3.16. I've talked about it and preached about it before. Anybody know what the second most recognized verse in the Bible is? Nope. Good guess. Somebody else said something. Nope. Sorry, honey. You're out. <laughs> that's, that's an often quoted verse. From the, it's an often quoted verse from an unbeliever or a person that's in a place that's, that's backslidden and living in sin. Ah, judge less, not you be judged. Oh, sorry. Anybody know? Number two on the all-time list. Most recognized, second most recognized verse in the Bible is Philippians 4.13. Ah, now it was, ah, I should have guessed Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I'm going to loop that verse around at the end of the sermon in a way that I think that will shed some fresh light. Uh, it's a verse that you see, uh, you know, kids write it on their basketball shoes, 
or their football cleats, or their baseball cleats. Uh, you see it along with John 3.16 in the, you know, in the sports arenas on billboards. Well, I know you wouldn't see it currently on billboards at sports arenas, but um, it's the second most recognized verse in the world, and uh, for good reason. But as we've studied through our way through the book of Acts, I've wondered at times if these events that we're studying here in the life of, uh, especially concerning the Apostle Paul, I wonder if these events were on Paul's mind as he sat under house arrest, writing the letters to the various churches. When he's sitting here writing to the believers in Philippi, I wonder if what was on his mind or was these events in, in the latter chapters of Acts, the book of Acts. Like what got Paul to the Philippians 4 point in his faith and in his walk later in life? What gave Paul the courage to endure the events in which we're reading about here in the book of Acts? Two questions that we want to put on the board today. The first one is, is why do we need courage? Why do we need courage? Why is it so important? And the second one is similar, maybe uh, a little more in the application area, is where do we find courage? Throughout the uh, storyline of the book of Acts, courage is an underlying trait for the first century believers. Those first century Christians, we see courage rising up in this brand new upstart way of thinking and believing. And courage has been on full display in the life of all the apostles and the others that are involved around and with the apostles as they begin to this whole new system of belief, like I mentioned, and where they were first called Christians in Antioch and as they were referred to as the way. Paul, the once famous Jewish zealot who persecuted Christians, is now one of the major leaders of the Christian movement taking the gospel out of Israel to the Gentile world and returning during, typically returning just for the feast weeks, and the, those events. Last week we saw in chapter 22 and 23 how he put before the Jewish Sanhedrin nearly, <clears throat> how he was put before the Jewish Sanhedrin, nearly torn in two, uh, punched in the face, placed back under Roman um, care, placed in a jail cell for his own safety, where if you look in Acts chapter 3, 23, verse 11, where it says, But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. That's where we want to pick it up with the next verse. So join me in Acts 23, and Jenny will have it up on the slide. I, I didn't have her put up verse... 11, but we'll start in verse 12, and we'll just continue down the storyline and then kind of review it. It says, When it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would, ne they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priest and the elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will not eat or Eat, that, we will not, that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. If you're wondering why I'm struggling, it's because my, I broke my glasses a while back. And uh, I'll be honest, I don't want to go to Costco. 
There's nothing there for me. They're out of toilet paper, right? That ain't right. I shouldn't have said that. I need to go in and see my good friend Will, who's the optometrist at Costco. Where are we? Wow, I'm way off base. Verse 15. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Remember last week, the Roman leaders, they're, they're struggling to figure out why Paul must have done something. Why does everybody want to kill him? Why is, he, why is this such a stir? He must have done something. So we'll let his own leadership take care of him. So, of course, he is just a quick recap. He goes before the Sanhedrin, and they, they get into this back and forth, and, and uh, Paul gets smacked in the mouth. No, hey, who likes to get punched in the face? Any hands want to go up? Like, I don't see any. Nobody likes to get punched in the mouth. Paul gets punched in the mouth for what he says. Another back and forth. He didn't recognize the high priest, Ananias. Paul gets right to the meat of why they're so upset with him. If they can't figure it out, he's going to bring it up. So he talks about the fact that he believes and he's promoting and preaching and has faith in the fact that Christ, Jesus Christ, has raised from the dead, that he's the Messiah. And that he's raised from the dead, just like he taught, and just like he accomplished. And that this is Paul's message to Jews and Gentiles alike. Paul gets right to the meat. They just about tore him in two as a result of their own fracture of belief between the, uh, in the Sanhedrin, between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I almost wouldn't even be a good pastor if I didn't say that the reason why they're called Sadducees is they didn't believe in the resurrection or angelic beings so they're sad you see like that comes up in every how many sermons have you guys heard in the hundred years that you've been believers that have had those very same quotes when we talked about the Sadducees everybody talks about the Sadducees that way <laughs> thank you Les. the reality is is that Paul knew exactly why he was there knew exactly why he was enduring what he had to endure to promote the Lord and to preach about Christ. Verse 16. So in Paul's sister's son, Paul's nephew, so when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. And then Paul came to one of the centurion's called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. The commander took him by the hand and went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath, that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed Paul. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart, and the commander and commanded him, tell no one that you have received these things from me. 
Wow, if this doesn't sound like the plot in a really good movie. The most unsuspecting person, perhaps, in all of Jerusalem plays a part in the storyline. Paul's nephew. I think about, like, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the movies that, you know, some of these... Um, movies where these little boys, these little kids are always just kind of scurrying about and, and they're really unrecognized. They're an unrecognized threat and they're an unrecognized ally by almost everybody. And that's the person that God uses in a pivotal spot in the story. Verse 23, And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner, Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I which wasn't exactly accurate. Uh, Paul had to tell him that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accusing, accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you, and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipress. And the next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea, they had delivered the letter to the governor, and they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what providence he was from. And when he understood that he was from Sicilia... He said, I will hear you when your accusers have come. And he commanded him being kept in Herod's praetorium. Quite a storyline. Quite a storyline of conspiracies and kids and courage and contentment. But why do we need courage? Back to the question I asked at the beginning. Why is it so important that we have courage? The world, our flesh, and the devil want to prevent us from God's will and mission for us is the answer I have for you. You guys get that? The world, the world system, the world's referred to in, in the Bible in three ways. The physical world, uh, the, the mindset of the world, and the people in the world. This is talking about the mindset of the world. The world, our flesh, and the devil want to prevent us from two things, God's will and God's mission for us. See, the world's mindset towards the Christian is three things. It's to discourage, discredit, and if necessary, to destroy. The world's mindset is to, towards believers. Discourage, discredit, and destroy if necessary. If you turn in your Bibles real quick to 1 John Chapter 2, we'll see these things. <clears throat> One of the verses that uh, 
has guided my thinking for a lot of years, especially at the point of temptation. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. You know what I love about the Bible? I'm a firm believer that the Bible is easy to understand. Like the common guy. I got 12 years and six months of education. That's it. I never finished college. I didn't even, finish, I didn't, I, well, I went, to, I started going to college. That's a whole part of my testimony we get into another time. I don't have any big degree. This, first, uh, John 2.16 is pretty simple for me to understand. And I believe that God intends for his word to be easy to understand. For all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. So we're about the Father's business. The flesh, the flesh is that natural desire of mankind. There's a pretty uh, a stinging list of what that looks like in Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. We see that with this group of conspirators. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, again, back to our text, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the flesh. And, of course, the devil wants to take you out. His, his goal for us, back to this idea that they want to prevent God's will and mission for us. The enemy is there. The John 10.10 10 clearly states, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's Jesus' goal, to have life and to have it abundantly. To stay on track with the Father's mission. To stay on track with the Father's will for us. And so there's this huge battle that's going on, and, and we're seeing in Acts kind of this, this uh, real-time, back-and-forth, interpersonal, gang up on Paul, God's encouraging him, more ganging up on Paul. These guys are just bound and determined to take him out. And so we see it playing out interpersonally. But the real issues are it's a spiritual battle. The real issues behind the scenes is this huge battle that's going on over the issue of who Jesus is. And was he real? And he was the, the Messiah? And did he raise from the dead? Why was he crucified? All of these questions are rising up. And Paul and the believers just continue to chip away with the truth in their communities. They continue to encourage those around them. This is what I believe, and this is why. And so and it doesn't matter if it was in the Gentile communities. It doesn't matter if it was in the Jewish communities. In a way, it was almost easier in the Jewish communities because they could kind of go back to the Torah and say, look at, look at these scriptures, boom, boom, boom. Look at this in Isaiah. Look at this in the prophets. The real battle, though, was the spiritual battle. 
So an inserted question would be, what is God's will and mission? And we're reminded of God's will and mission throughout this story of Paul. You could really start with his story in Acts 9, 15, and 16 as the, the genesis for the will and mission of Paul. And perhaps, actually, Paul writes, you know, uh, these things were laid out before the foundations of the earth. I think he writes that in the book of Ephesians. But as far as the events taking place, Acts 9, 15, and 16, and we've covered this ground, but I'll only mention it again to emphasize the point of God's will and mission for the Apostle Paul. Verse 15 of chapter 9 says, But the Lord said to him, God's actually talking about Paul, or, uh, he says, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine and bear, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things that he must suffer for my name's sake. And like Paul, we can take some of those three main things out of those two verses and find great comfort in them. That you and I are a chosen vessel. That God has chosen you. He's chosen me. And that our main purpose in life is to bear the name of Christ. It's not a Sunday thing. It's not a Monday night or Wednesday night thing only. It's every day. It's 24 hours a day. It's in all that we do and all that we say, we are called to bear the name of Christ. Put it out in front. Let it be the front bumper sticker of our life, so to speak. And the third thing is where the rubber meets the road it's that crisis of a belief that we're studying about on Sunday nights and experiencing God. For a lot of us, the third thing is the hardest part, and that is, is that uh, we're called to suffer for Christ's name's sake. So what is God's will? Uh, I have a list of seven. It's not all in inclusive for every aspect of life. The seven first things that came to my mind is this. It's God's will that we follow, that we trust, and that we obey Him. That's God's will. You clearly see it in the Scriptures. It's God's will for the believer that we have godly marriages. It's God's will that husbands love their wife. That's God's will for us men. Straightforward. There's no exceptions to that. That's God's will for us if you're, if you're a husband. Wives, God's will for you is to respect your husbands. It's God's will that we raise a godly generation in underneath, in underneath and, and, and behind us. It's the church, it's Christ's followers. It's God's will that children obey their parents. Right? That was a part of our that was a part of what we incorporated into our parenting. Hey, hey, this is not just because I say so. Let's look at what God says. It's God's will for you to obey your parents. Not to say that that doesn't get met. Not to say that any of these don't get met with resistance. Actually, I don't want to pick on the kids alone. There's resistance on every aspect of these seven things. Right? Let's get real. 
It's hard for me to love my wife. Not because of her, but because of me. Because of my flesh. Because of my desires. Because of how the world has impacted me. How the enemy tries to trip me up. So that's, that's on me. That's, that's, that's part of the wrestle that we go through. I'm not saying that this list is easy. I'm just simply saying that's what part of God's will. And how he's going to lead us through is through the power of his Holy Spirit. How he's going to lead us through these seven things, and there's probably a lot more. We can talk about finances. We could talk about our responsibility and God's will for us to share the gospel near and far. I mean, it's, it's exhaustive. I mean, you can, you can broaden it out for sure. And none of them are necessarily easy. That's why the Holy Spirit came to, to, to show us and to teach us, to comfort us and to guide us into how to live this life. The last one I just mentioned, of course, it's God's will to share Jesus with those around us. See, we need godly courage to live on mission with God's plan and purpose for our lives and also being involved in the lives of those around us. We need courage because authentic Christianity is and always will be a full contact sport. We talked about, uh, what's the name of that book, Jim Putman? Uh, Church is a team sport. And I would like to write the sequel that uh, church is a full, <laughs> full contact sport. I should call him and see if he wants to partner up. Yeah, he's a wrestler. He was like, he was a, he was like a uh, national collegiate wrestler uh, that was really good. And then he got called into the ministry and has a church over in Post Falls. Takes courage. We need courage because the spiritual warfare that's ever-present and is an ever-present danger, it is an ever-present danger in the lives of all Christ followers. So it takes courage. Those are some of the reasons why we need, why we need courage. And courage from God. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of supplemental courage in the world. Let's be honest. Right? A lot of supplemental courage. There's a lot of things out there that uh, would enable you or me to do things that we would not normally do or to say things that we would not normally say. So that's supplemental. Uh, perhaps, in, in many cases, somewhat of a, uh, 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 a backdoor opportunity to medicate the much deeper reasons and issues that are in our lives. But we do all need courage, and we need godly courage. So where do we find courage? I'll refer to a few verses, we'll look at a few, and then at the end of the service here, we're actually going to take an opportunity, the rest of the elders are going to come up, and, and we're all, the four of us that are here, by the way, Barry's not here because he's an inch of Liam, in meetings all morning, dealing with this COVID-19 and the effects in the school district over there. And uh, so we need to continue to pray for him. Uh, I talked to him last night. I will tell you his <laughs> very stress level is, uh, is high. And he is leaning into the Lord 
probably as much now as ever uh, through his call to be a principal. So he's not with us this morning, but the four of us elders are going to, we're going to spend some time in corporate prayer and in response to our president's call for prayer today and calling for Sunday here, March 15th, to be a national day of prayer for the crisis that our nation and the world is in. Where do we find courage? First one, first place we find courage is in the promises in God's Word. Deuteronomy 31.6 and Matthew 28.20, if you want to write those down. Deuteronomy 31.6 and Matthew 28.20. Both of these passages speak of God's promise to never leave us or forsake us. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. That God's promise is that He is never going to leave or forsake His people. Never. He's not going to take a break while the world's in panic. He's not going to take a break because your life or my life is, ends up in some crisis. He's not going to take a break. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. Now, He may be quiet. Being quiet is not the same as absent. Let's get that straight. Being quiet is not the same as absent. Oftentimes, and especially we all know that when, when we are, uh, when our fellowship with God is broke because of, of uh, unrepented sin, oftentimes God is quiet. Because He knows, and He knows that we know, that the next step is for us to repent. Right? The Holy Spirit's job is to, to come and convict us of what? Convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. So when we're out of touch with God because of abiding sin, He's going to step back because He knows and you know and He knows that you know where you're at, where I'm at. I'm not putting you guys out on a, a plank that I... I'm unwilling to step on, or I shouldn't say step on, but where I haven't been, I've been there. I've probably been there more than anybody at times. And so, and where he's quiet, and the only thing that you're going to hear is repent. If God's quiet, that doesn't mean he's absent, right? Deuteronomy 31, 6, and Matthew 28, 20, both talk about the, God's promise to never leave or forsake us. Number two, Number two is God's providence. Number two is the providence if, of God himself. And what do I mean by that? What, how, how does that play out? I'm sure there's questions in your minds right now. The Bible's full of examples of God's providence. I mean, you can start page one and go clear through the end of Revelation and see the providence of God working its way through all the pages and all the stories. And so it doesn't matter if you're talking about Esther, if you're talking about Joseph in the Old Testament, if you're talking about Abraham, if you're talking about uh, Noah, if you're talking about Jonah. <laughs> the Bible's full of examples, but I actually want to tie in the examples here, the passage of chapter 23 of Acts that we've talked about. See, God had an overarching plan that he talked about in verse 
11 of 23, he had an overarching plan to get Paul to Rome. That was his will. That was his plan. God uses the most unlikely people. He uses a little boy, and he uses uh, Gentile soldiers to foil the conspiracy to kill Paul. God uses those, those people and sets up the stage for this middle-of-the-night escape. Right? We've got to get this guy out of here. These, these guys, are, they're not going to stop until we get him away from them. So interestingly enough, isolation becomes part of God's plan in his providence. He gets Paul out of danger. That was God's wisdom in the passage, was to get Paul out of danger for his own sake. Why? Because he had a greater plan coming up. He had a bigger purpose for Paul. You stop the story here by letting Paul go again before the Sanhedrin, and these guys come in and take him out? How does that affect the rest, the majority of... Let me get there. That affects that much of the Bible in some which way. Now, I'm not saying God couldn't raise up somebody else, that God couldn't get those same words across, all of the epistles that Paul wrote, surely, surely he could, absolutely. But God had a providential plan for Paul. Time and time again, we've seen these, throughout the scriptures, we've seen these crazy escapes out the window, in a basket, through the bushes, God blinding the eyes of enemies, all these all these God stories, the Bible's full of them. But we have to look and see where the providence of God is going on and the fact that we can take courage that what God has said, He's going to accomplish. The third thing is through contentment. How do we find courage through contentment? It doesn't seem to naturally fit right? Flip back in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and we'll go back to the passage that I talked about at the very, very beginning, that second most popular verse in all the world, Philippians 4.13, is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I chuckle because (laughs) as a coach, I've seen this on kids' shoes, and I think it's great. Uh, but I get a chuckle, not because they're necessarily promoting the Bible, but oftentimes the mindset for Philippians 4.13 is about muscling up in the spirit and, or, 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 you know, I, I can do what I normally can't do and God's going to empower me to do that. It's not about doing. It's not about doing. Now, Paul says that, and, and, and it's not... The context for Philippians 4.13 is contentment. We just studied this through in our small group. We push back to verse 11. Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak in regard to need. For what? I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I've learned to be content, Paul says. 
I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The source of the strength that Paul was talking about was not somehow a physical thing or, or, you know, it was about being content with what God had for him, regardless. And so the panic doesn't set in for him based upon where his checking account is. The panic doesn't set in for Paul based upon the fact that he's not free to preach the gospel on the street corners. He just takes advantage and talks to the guy that he's chained to. He was content. He was content to say, hey, how many people is this guy going to affect? Right? And we can take this whole pandemic and turn it backwards in a spiritual way. And Paul could, could have been thinking, if I don't talk to this guy next to me, how many people out there will he not talk to? So take advantage of it. He was content talking to one or thousands. It didn't matter. Just simply didn't matter. He was going to share Christ. And our courage comes through understanding that it doesn't matter how many people are in the seats. Simply, all that matters is what has God provided? Am I willing to trust in God's providence even in that? That's where courage comes through. The last one is through prayer. Prayer is an essential connection between us and God. Essential. Absolutely essential. Prayer is meant to be this ongoing conversation with the Lord. A couple verses that I'll read to you. You can turn there if you want to. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It's a real good one when talking about prayer. And in the same book that we're talking about in Philippians Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, in verse 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, an ongoing conversation with the Lord, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, I'm not panicked because the seats are less than half full today. In everything, I'm giving thanks. I'm giving thanks that that the people that are at high risk that I know about, the ones that I, I've talked to, are holding off just for safety. doesn't panic them. In fact, I talked to my, my mom, and of course, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the, kind of the tough side of my mom was, well, them roads are a little slick. I, I, was, kind of, I was like, Mom, I'm not talking about how slick the roads are. Uh, you don't drive fast enough to slide off the road, you know. I mean, let's, let's get real here. She started, and oh, I can't. Is this being recorded? Boy, I really wonder if she's watching this. But she's not close enough to cause any physical harm. Let it, let it ride. I'm live streaming. Are you watching it on your phone? All right, good job. Technology at work in our midst. When I was a teenager, before I got my driver's license, I rode, I would ride to Colville with my grandma. I talk about my mom being a slow driver, but she has nothing on how slow of a driver my grandma was. 
And so I'm this 15-year-old kid sitting in the pickup, and we're on that long, straight stretch. Uh, we're just about to the Arden gas station, and I look at my rearview mirror, and my grandma's over to the, to the right a little bit, and she was doing 40. She never went over 40. If she drove on I-90, she'd go 40. But she's, she's kind of riding the white line a little bit, you know, and I look in my mirror, and there's a string of cars as far as the eye can see. And so at 15, I'm kind of like, hey, Grandma, you know, um, there's a lot of people behind you. They can pass me if they want to. Let them pass. Yeah, she's a real leader. She had a lot of people following her. <laughs> I will confess that I got pulled over for going too slow one time, coming back from that's another story, but uh, anyway, where, where am I going with all this? I don't know. Oh, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ in you. Mom, it's not about the, uh, it's not about how the slick roads, it's about your safety. And we have to be real, and we have to be wise, and we have to be discerning and seek the Lord. Holly's not here. Holly's not here because, uh, yeah, for that very reason. She's, yeah. Right. Holly suffers from COPD, and so she's rather. Uh, we should have told her we were live streaming. I guess. Philippians four, chapter uh, chapter four, verses six and seven says, "Be anxious for nothing. Don't fear. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God." The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer builds courage when we come into conversation with the Lord. He focuses our mind. I'm going to pause. It's not in my notes. But I'm going to say prayer and fasting has an effect like no other, right? Wednesday morning, before the big snow hit, uh, I had a stressful meeting coming up Wednesday night. Could be stressful. It wasn't stressful. So Wednesday morning, I'm out puttering around, and uh, Tammy's doing stuff in the house, and I kind of disappeared on the four-wheeler. I had a few things I wanted to do, uh, and she's kind of gritting her teeth because I know normally she would go with me to put out trail cams and put new uh, uh, SD cards in the trail cams that we have on our property because we kind of want to keep track of where the deer and the elk are. Don't tell anybody. So, um, but I kind of like covertly went down the basement, got my supplies. Some of us have a lot of experience with this uh, and kind of snuck out the ba- basement door. Why? Two reasons. One is I knew that even though I was doing things, I wanted to be, I wanted to be away and with the Lord. I wanted to be away and with the Lord. Two, I decided that it's um, for me, it's way easier to fast if I'm not walking through the kitchen. Uh, other people don't have that problem, maybe as much as me. But for me to fast, I have to make an absolute decision to just get away because I'll just get away and just take a bottle of water and away we go so that's what I did I spent Wednesday morning up on top of our hill 
doing a few things and walking around looking for elk tracks. But the main reason, the main reason was this verse right here. That the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The reason is right here. Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. That in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. Let those requests be known to God. Get away. Spend some time. Dedicate. Sacrifice something. The essence of fasting is to deny something and let God refill that void in our lives with our communication and focus on Him. That's the essence of fasting. Now, I don't bring it up, and don't hear the wrong thing. God, Jesus has a lot to say about, about talking about fasting and, and demonstrating fasting for all the wrong reasons. Of, hey, look at me. I'm not saying look at me. I only bring it up as a real and a real-time example that God is working in me, and God's working in all of us. Prayer builds the courage to do what God wants us to do. Minor footnote of remembrance only is that both of these passages were written about the very guy who escaped in the night at the hands of a kid and Roman soldiers. It was Paul that wrote these things down for us about prayer. He knows the value of prayer. So he reminds us throughout these different letters, these epistles that he's written. Speaking of prayer, I'm going to ask the, uh, the rest of the elders to come on up. There's one solitary thing that we can be doing for our community, for our nation, for our state, really for the world as COVID-19 is running its course. The most important thing we can do is pray first. That's the most important thing we can do. Is that we can pray first. That we can encourage those around us. Right? And let God reveal the next step. What is going to be the next step for us? What's going to be the next step for our community? This situation, to the best that I can see, remains relatively fluid. I'm not pretending to be any expert on it in, in the least. Not at all. Like, I'm one of the guys that like, just normally doesn't get sick. So personally, I mean, I'm, I'm not stressed about it. I do share with these fellas the weight of leading all of us as a congregation. Like I mentioned at the beginning, because we love you, we care for you, we're called to sacrifice and serve. That's our role. And to, to, to shepherd along the flock here that God has entrusted us. So our first point of action is, is to pray and to uh, seek the Lord. So I'm going to grab a, a microphone. Never mind. Oh, I don't need it. I got one. I'll let you have it. But I'll, we'll go ahead and pray. Jonathan and the rest of the worship team, if you guys want to, uh, maybe Jonathan just play something on the keys lightly, and, and we're going to go before the Lord and uh, 
Les has some scripture that he would like to read, and of course, he'll close us in prayer. So, Father, we just uh, we thank you for today. We're grateful for who you are. We're grateful, Lord, that, uh, that it's you who builds courage in the lives of your believers. We're so grateful for what we're reading about and, and studying through this series in Acts as we see you working your providential plan in the lives of your people. And Lord, that is, uh, that are, those are the lessons for us. Those are the examples of how you work and how you want to work in our lives. As we follow you, as we trust in you, so, Lord, whether it's uh, the, the looking eyes of a little boy, whether it's the spiritual battle and the, the conspiracy of the enemy in the world to take us out, whether it's the, even the rescue of a worldly government, Father, we want to see your providential plan. We want to see you at work. We know that you're right there with us. We know that you care for us. We know that your desire is for us. And, and for those of us uh, that we know, Lord, that are, that are slid, slidden away from you, that are running for you, we know that your word says you're jealous for them desires for them to return your desires a life of repentance for all of us to be both humble and courageous but to be powered in our humility and in our courage by the leading of your Holy Spirit we're thankful so thankful Lord that You've chosen us as your people. That our response is to follow you. Is to surrender to you, both Savior and Lord. Lord, teach us to fully relinquish and open every aspect of our life before you. So we know that you are faithful. You're faithful to heal. You're faithful to to tear down those strongholds in lives. Lord, you're faithful to, to rebuild, to transform hearts, to transform minds. You are forever faithful. So we focus on you. Help us to yield to you, Lord, in your plans.